Go ahead and uh, open your Bibles to the book of Matthew. We're going through the Beatitudes right now, and uh, the name of this series is Life, Liberty, and God. Okay, you know what? I've had enough of this. There we go. There we go. There, cool. We're continuing in uh, our series in the book of Matthew on the Beatitudes called Life, Liberty, and the Pursuit. The word blessed, which all these verses start with, blessed are the poor in spirit, blessed are the peacemakers, blessed are those who mourn, all means happy. And in America, we have, in our Declaration of Independence, we have the right to be happy. Doggone it. So that's great, because the Bible tells us exactly how we do that. Matthew chapter 5. Last week, or two weeks ago, we talked about blessed are the pure in heart, and um, we talked about this uh, idea that there are two kingdoms. We do this every, every week in the Beatitudes. There's two kingdoms, the kingdom of the world and the kingdom of God. And two weeks ago, when we were talking about the pure in heart, we were saying the world looks on the outside of the cup. They look on the outside of the vessel. How much money do you make? Oh, he seems like a pretty nice guy. Yeah, okay, good. He got a raise. This is what he does. This is his wife. This is his kids. God, the kingdom of God, is the heart. Everything's about the heart. And so that launches us into this next week. Real quickly, last week we went over how do we have a, uh, a, um, a healthy heart. And we talked about don't smoke or use tobacco products. And our, our idea there was uh, don't do anything uh, that's going to damage your heart. This is uh, uh, issues like sin and things like that that get in our lives that end up damaging our heart. Then we talked about getting active. Being involved in some type of a ministry is a way to a healthy, spiritual, pure heart. And then eat a heart-healthy diet. What we actually take in, the Word of God and uh, um, uh, wise counsel. And then fourthly, get regular health screenings. And that was um, attending our small group and um, having accountability in our lives. Things where they can look and say, you know what? You don't look that healthy spiritually right now. You need to make some changes. So that's what we talked about this week. This week we're talking about blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. And anytime you see sons of God, ladies, you can add daughters in there. Uh, it's, it's totally fine. But uh, they will be called sons of God. Now peace is very important in the Bible. Okay? God is called a God of peace. It says in uh, 1 Corinthians fourteen thirty three, For God is not a God of disorder, but a God of peace. We talk about Jesus being the Prince of Peace, right? Jesus is the Prince of Peace. 400 times the Bible references peace. If you want to have a fun thing, look in the New Testament. Almost in every single book in the New Testament, there's a greeting of peace, peace, peace be with you. May grace and peace be with you. May mercy and peace be with you. First Peter 1, uh, 2. Oh, yeah, I put that one in the wrong spot. But uh, yeah, it was... The peas one? Yeah, thanks. Okay, go ahead. You can move on. Hopefully. All right, anyway. 1 Peter 1, 2. May grace and peace be yours in the fullest measure. In the fullest measure, God wants us to have peace. Cool. Uh, Jude 2. May mercy and peace and love be multiplied to you. Psalm 34, 14. Depart from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. So when we get to a verse like, blessed are the peacemakers, it seems right. I mean, shouldn't we have peace in our lives? Shouldn't we be people of peace? It totally makes sense. And so Jesus comes. Do I have the list on there? Keep going. We're we're a little bit behind. This is my fault because I didn't have it. uh... Oh, sorry. My bad. Go to the next one. Cool. What does peace look like to you? If I say, oh, because we say it all the time. Look, I just want some peace what are we saying typically i just want to be left alone (laughs) usually if if you have children right uh uh, so i just want some peace or maybe it's financially i just man we just don't have any peace in our house if i say we don't have any peace in our house a lot of things could come up oh maybe they're not doing well financially maybe john and lisa are fighting maybe there's something wrong with one of the kids who knows but what does the lack of peace look like see the picture on the right That's what a lack of peace looks like to me. But past two bills, arguing, a screaming kid. We saw that this morning. Uh, You know, no. 
Come on, good gracious. Look, if you guys are going to be sissies about this, come on now. So what does it look like? What is, if we're supposed to be peacemakers, what does peace look like? Well, Jesus came. We talk about uh, uh, when, when Jesus first arrived. What was it? Peace on earth. Jesus was coming to bring peace. But in Matthew chapter 10, Jesus says this. Do not think I came to bring peace on earth. I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. What? A sword? What does that mean? And it goes on in Luke chapter 19. He approaches Jerusalem and he sees the city and he begins to weep for the city. Well, that's that's more like it. That sounds more peaceful. So then he says to them, if you, even you, had only known on this day what would bring you peace, but now it's hidden from your eyes. And then he goes into a description. Here's what's going to happen. Your enemies are going to come. They're going to hem you in on either side. They're going to drag you away, your kids away. He starts describing this horrible thing of, of uh, peace. In verse 44 of Luke 19, he says, They will not leave one stone on another because you did not recognize the time of God's coming to you. He's weeping. He's saying, if you'd only seen the kingdom, if you'd only gotten a glimpse of the kingdom, you'd have peace. But you're missing it. And then what does he do? He does the great peaceful act right after this of going into the temple and turning over all the tables. That doesn't look like peace to me. Well, we've been talking about these two kingdoms. The world and the kingdom of heaven. In the world, the idea of peace, what we would call peace, is the absence of conflict or fear or anxiety. The absence of any, anything that would make us uncomfortable. You know, we want everyone to get along. There should be no argument. It's the absence of things. The word that the Bible uses, the Hebrew uh, in the Old Testament uses shalom, and it's the same translation they use in the greek it's the same idea it's a jewish idea of peace shalom it's not the absence of anything it's the presence of god it's god's kingdom when somebody says shalom peace they mean god's kingdom to you it's not just hey hope you get over that argument with your wife it's much much richer than that Isaiah 9, 7 says, Of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. (laughs) When God's kingdom comes, it will be a kingdom of peace. And it's here now. I want us to read this quote because we're going to be talking about this idea of this webbing together. Cornelius uh, Plantinga wrote a a book called Not the Way It's Supposed to Be. He's talking about uh, a world with sin in it. And so here's how he describes peace. If you want to go to that, I know it's kind of long, but hang in there, please. The webbing together of God, humans, and all creation in justice, fulfillment, and delight is what the Hebrew prophets call shalom. We call it peace, but it means far more than mere peace of mind or a ceasefire between enemies. Listen to this. In the Bible, shalom means universal flourishing, wholeness, and delight a rich state of affairs in which natural needs are satisfied and natural gifts are fruitfully employed. A state of affairs that inspires joyful wonder as its creator and savior opens doors and welcomes the creatures in whom he delights. Shalom, in other words, is the way things ought to be. As believers in Jesus Christ, to be a peacemaker is to bring into a situation the way things ought to be. It's not to cover anything up. It's not to, oh man, you know, we're having this argument or whatever. We've got to get rid of all these things. It's to bring into a situation the way things ought to be. We bring the kingdom into this situation. See, when Jesus performed miracles, we, we think of miracles like, oh, the miracle was to show how awesome Jesus was. Well, totally. I mean, it it did show how awesome Jesus was. But if it were me doing miracles, I'd do, I'd probably step it up a notch. Yeah. I'd do like some gigantic fireball that like comes whipping around, you know, just some 
unbelievable, because it's me and it's my flesh and I just want it to be the most amazing thing and I'd stand on a mountain and be like this and then there would be no doubt. Jesus didn't do that in his miracles. Some people say that miracles are the, this, the natural order, uh, going outside the natural order. Miracles that Jesus did were establishing what takes place naturally in the kingdom. Feeding of the 5,000. There's no, in the kingdom of God, when, when Christ returns, there's no hunger, healing disease. There's no disease. Raising people from the dead, there's no death. All these things Jesus does to say he brings peace into the situation. He brings the kingdom of God into the situation. He goes to the paralyzed guy and says, get up and walk. In the kingdom, there's no paralyzed people. Now, what that does is, is it shows definitely his authority as God. There's no doubt about that. But it brings the kingdom. Jesus brought with him the way things ought to be, but they're not. And so when we talk about this webbing together of God and humans and all creation and justice, we get an idea that our lives, your and my life, together weaves this web of fabric. And so the kingdom of God is this tightly woven fabric of our lives enjoying God's presence. But at the fall of man, there began to be tears in the fabric. Think about the world's way of peace. What is it? It's isolation. It's, it's get me enough money and enough things so I could get out of the fabric because that's just, when the fabric begins to tear and there's arguments and this going on, I don't want to have anything to do. I want to get enough money to get up on the hill with a nice house and my car and my wife and just be left alone in peace. And that's not the way God describes peace. And so it becomes our job as believers, our job, Not king's job, not legislator's job, not a lawyer's job, a judge's job, the president's job, the NEA, the NRA, the ERA, the NAACP, the UCLA, the whatever. (laughs) No institution of man before or later is going to be able to establish the kind of peace that we will be able to establish with Christ Jesus reigning in our hearts. Now, some of those institutions are great. I, you know, support them, whatever. I don't, I don't know. I, I tried to name both on either side so that no one's like, you didn't name, you know, whatever. The, yeah. So anyway, so go and do what you want to do. I'm, this isn't a political thing at all. All I'm saying is there is no institution of man that's going to bring peace. The next election, I don't care who you vote for, he, he or she or whatever, they, they're not bringing peace. Not the kind of peace God's talking about. Not shalom peace. Not the way things ought to be. They can try, but it's not going to work. See, what I want to talk about is I want to talk about the fall. Before sin, it was the way things ought to be. God had created the earth in a way it was supposed to be. Man and animals and all his creation glorifying his name. And he's in communion with them. And sometimes, because we live in this world, it just seems like a fairy tale. Doesn't the Garden of Eden just kind of seem like a fairy tale? Because all we've seen is cartoon drawings of it. But it really existed. There was a time when God was in communion with his creation, and there was no sin. And then Adam failed. So what I want to talk about are four areas of shalom in our lives that we can begin to look at and see, do I need to do better at bringing the way things ought to be in this area of my life. And so um, the first is a spiritual loss of shalom. A spiritual loss of shalom. A lost relationship with God. See, there used to be a shalom peace uh, uh, in the Garden of Eden where Adam and Eve and God walked together and they talked and they had this communion together. And God had established a place for them to be totally fulfilled in him except for one kooky tree. Just one tree. You can do anything you want. Just don't eat of the one tree. And we all know the story. They do. The serpent tempts them and they do. 
So what happens? There's this loss. There's this spiritual loss. Man and God become separated. It says in Genesis 3.8, Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and they hid from the Lord. There's no more peace now. There's separation now. And we might be in the same spot in our lives. You may never have had that relationship with God, and there's something in you going... Oh, there's got to be more. There's got to be more. It's not religion. It's that relationship with God. That's the thing that's missing. And so we go, oh, it's a, it's a lack of spiritual peace because we're disconnected from our Creator. In verse uh, 3.10, I mean in uh, verse 9, it says, um, But the Lord call, uh, God called to man, Where are you? Where are you? What happened? Where's the shalom peace we had? What are you doing? And he says, I heard you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. There was a tear in that garment of shalom. And from that time on to now, God has been doing everything in his power. This comes on our shoulders now to bring shalom back to that relationship. And so in the Old Testament, there was the law. And you know, to follow the law. But it was still by faith anyway. I mean, we couldn't, nobody could follow the law. That was the point. And so, but in, in the Old Testament, you see uh, in Psalm twenty nine eleven, the Lord will give strength to his people. The Lord will bless his people with peace. You get that Old Testament idea of shalom. God's going to bless his people. There's going to be, uh, this, this, this fabric will be mended. Listen to Psalm 85, 8 through 10. This is so cool. I will listen to what God, uh, what God the Lord will say. He promises peace to his people, his saints. But let them not return to folly. Surely his salvation is near those who fear him, that his glory may dwell in our land. Now listen. Love and faithfulness meet together. Righteousness and peace kiss each other. That's shalom. That's a relationship with God. That's a connection then, again, back to this spiritual loss of shalom. Why, why do I feel empty inside? Because there's a tear in that fabric. So what did God do? He sent Jesus. We talked about this before. Jesus is the Prince of Peace. When Jesus arri- uh, arrives, the first thing they say is, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth, peace among men with whom he is pleased. This is it, the angels are saying to the, to the shepherds. This is it. This is the peace. This is the shalom. This is how we're going to get back again. It says in uh, Ephesians 2.14, remember when we were going through Ephesians, it says, He himself is our peace. He's it. That's, our, that's how we get that spiritual shalom back. It's Jesus. Romans 5.1 and 2, I think I have up there. Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God. Oh, the fabric's been mended. Through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. And we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Oh, we have that relationship back again. God wants that relationship with us. And he's designed us to feel the tear. He's designed us to feel the emptiness. Well, here's the thing. So what, okay, that's great, John. We all know the gospel story. I've heard it a thousand times. Thank you very much. Here's the thing. For those of us who've been mended back to God, now blessed are the peacemakers. Now that we've been mended there, it's our job to present the way things ought to be. And so when we, when we get reconciled to God, there's a sense that we now go, oh man, this is it. And we plunge ourselves into society in order to help recover that torn fabric. That's why the body of Christ is, is, is uh, we're all knit together, right? And so we, 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 we plunge into society with this mending capability. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. They have that relationship with God. God is their father. And so we plunge ourselves in. We've, uh, we talked about in Ephesians again. Have your feet shod with the gospel, the preparation of the gospel of peace. Remember that? Now that you're a believer, everywhere you walk, you should be 
have your feet have the gospel of peace. The way things ought to be. You're representing it. If you look at uh, 2 Corinthians 5, 18 through 21, this is really fantastic. Again, I don't mean to overwhelm you with a lot of scripture, but if you stick with it, uh, trust me, it, 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 it really gives a great illustration of what I'm talking about. All this is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ. It's exactly what we're talking about, Jesus, right? And gave us, and gave us, he reconciled us in, he said, okay, great, you're, you're back together with me, spiritual shalom, shalom. Now, here's what I'm giving you in return. You will then become a fabric that becomes a ministry of reconciliation, okay? He gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That's our ministry. We've been reconciled to God. Now it's our ministry not to go up and beat somebody over the head, but to present the way things ought to be, the way things were designed to be in the beginning. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting men's sins against them. Here we go again. And he has committed to us what? The message, message of reconciliation. We have a ministry of reconciliation and a message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors as though God were making his appeal through us. As though we were the very fabric that goes into this torn webbing of what was supposed to be God, uh, God's creation glorifying him in relationship. We now become the, the fabric that goes in to try and connect that back again. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. We implore you. Paul's saying, I beg you. I beg you, catch this. Because the world depends on our ability to present the way things ought to be. Now sometimes, when we present the gospel, it comes at, in truth. And this is why I'm saying we've got to be careful of how we see peace. Because if we see peace as no, oh, there's no animosity, no nothing, then we'll be, it, we won't present the truth of Christ, which is you need Christ or you die and you spend eternity without God. Well, how, what are you telling me I'm going to spend eternity without God? You can't tell me that you judge me. I mean, I'm a good you know, person, whatever. And you go, oh, man, no, there might be peace. Peace never comes at the expense of truth, ever. So when we present the truth, whatever happens because we present the truth happens. That's why the very next verse we're going to read next week is, blessed are you when people persecute you. What kind of peace is that? Blessed are the peacemakers, and yet I'm going to get taken out to the woodshed by somebody because I, I'm presenting the truth? Absolutely. The loss of spiritual shalom. Not only is it our job to get back in relationship with God, our job is then to plunge ourselves into society to help reweave other people's relationship back to God. Not as religion, okay? Not, you know, my church is better than your church, but my God is better than your lack of God. Second, there's a personal loss of shalom personal loss of shalom. When man fell, there was a sense of real personal tragedy. Genesis 3-7 says, Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they realized they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. All of a sudden, and I've been trying all this week to connect with the fall. Now imagine... You're going along your life as Adam. You're stoked. You're naked. Whatever that looked like back then. You're just jamming around. Everything's great. You got a good relationship with God. You got stuff to do. You got a great wife. You're going, everything's going around awesome. You're just jamming around. And all of a sudden you realize that there's something terribly wrong. I imagine the what do I do? There was a personal loss of peace. Adam had perfect peace. He had it. There was nothing else for him. And all of a sudden he went, oh no, there's something wrong. Now imagine you're jamming along 
great. And all of a sudden you get these feelings like, this is terrible. That's what the fall brought to him, a personal loss of shalom. And so they're trying to sew fig leaves together to cover themselves up. I mean, does that not represent our life? Where we, something's wrong and we, we do whatever we can. Okay, if I can just get this raise, if I can just get this, if, if I can, oh man, if I can, I'll get my shalom back. And we weren't designed to do that. Adam was not designed to sew clothes for himself. That's not the way it was supposed to be. God had that all figured out. So there's this loss of almost like psychological shalom. And I don't mean to go all like psychological on everybody. But when your mind and your passion and your, your love for God, when that's all firing on all, remember we talked about all these different parts of our soul. That's why we say we love the Lord God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength, right? When all those are firing together, there's a sense of personal shalom. There's purpose and meaning in Christ Jesus. But without God, we lose that. And there's anxiety. And so, if we're going to be peacemakers, if our job is to be a peacemaker, in spiritual shalom, it's to share the gospel. It's to present the way things ought to be. This is what God's doing. In our personal lives, it's also to make sure that our personal lives have, have personal shalom. And I, I want to quickly just go over some things. Because um, uh, this is all review for us. We, we know all these verses. Um, but it, it's good to be reminded again. The first way to, re, to get personal shalom, personal peace, is to get in touch with the first one. Spiritual shalom. Our relationship with God. Here's how uh, Philippians puts it. Tell me if this doesn't sound like personal shalom. Do not be anxious about anything. Don't, don't worry about anything. Oh, man. You mean Christmas is coming? I don't need to worry about my in-laws coming over? No, you probably need to worry about that. But everything else, no, no. Don't be anxious about anything, but in everything, connect with that spiritual shalom. Connect with your maker. Make sure that fabric with him is woven tight. And here's how you do it. By prayer and petition with thanksgiving, we present our requests to God. Now listen what happens. That personal shalom, the peace of God, which transcends all understanding. What that means is your circumstances don't necessarily change. But you have peace. That doesn't make any sense to our Western mind. In our Western mind, something has to change for us to feel peace. This is peace that transcends all all comprehension. Everything remains the same. You're going, you know what, Lord? I'm not anxious about this. So here we go. And the peace of God, which transcends all comprehension, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. All of a sudden, the fabric, that tear of anxiety, will be woven back and it will be strong again. Be anxious for nothing, but by everything in prayer and petition with thanksgiving, we make our requests known to God. God, I want that fabric of anxiety to be brought back together again so I have that personal shalom, that personal peace. We do it firstly by connecting with God. And then it says in verse uh, 8, he goes on and he says, uh, whatever is true and whatever uh, is honorable and whatever is right and whatever is pure, let your mind just dwell on that. Let your mind dwell on that. Connect with your maker and put it all before him and then begin to just meditate on uh, whatever is true and honorable and right and pure and love, lovely. Just get on that stuff. And it'll begin to tighten up and be thicker. Then it says on nine, whatever you've learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put that into practice. Can you imagine how awesome it would be for me to stand up here and go, hey, you guys, look, I know you've been really anxious about Christmas and no money or whatever. I, 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 I kind of have it. Look, whatever you've seen or heard in me, like if you've learned or received or heard anything or seen in me, just put that into practice. You'll be fine. Paul said that. That is a really good example of a peacemaker. He had spiritual peace with God. He had peace with himself through a relationship with Jesus. And he was able to say, oh yeah, whatever I'm doing, do it. It's working. It's working great for me. It's pretty cool. The second thing is follow God's truth. This is obvious, guys. This is obvious. I mean, if we're going to have personal shalom, we, fought, we, we go along with 
what the Bible's saying. Again, the Bible isn't designed to say, no, you're not allowed to do that or do that. It's, it's designed to say, oh, yeah, you want personal shalom? Sure, it's all right here. In Proverbs 3, 1, My son, do not forget my teaching, but let your heart keep my commandments. For length of days and years of life and peace they will add to you. Living a life according to Scripture is not some religious thing we do just because it makes us better people. It brings that personal shalom and spiritual shalom that gives length of days, years of life, and peace. They're added to us. It says in First uh, Peter, Second uh, Peter one two, grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God. Grace and peace is multiplied to us as we learn more about God and put that into practice. Psalm one nineteen uh, one sixty five. Those who love your law have great peace. <laughs> That's great. We can go home now. I mean, with that verse, we can all go home. Those who love your law have great peace, great personal shalom, because they follow what's in the Word of God. And then third, the direction of the Holy Spirit. Jesus says, look, all this I've spoken to you while I've been with you, but the Counselor, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he'll teach you all things and remind you of everything I said to you. So the Holy Spirit, as we're open to what the Holy Spirit has to say, and then he goes on, peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. I do not give as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled. Don't let there be a tear in your personal shalom. I've given you the Holy Spirit. I've given, you've got the word. You've got a relationship with God. We should all be bringing peace into our homes because we, we have access to all this stuff. Now, do I do it all the time? No, of course not. But I have access to the answer. And as peacemakers, this is what we're to bring into every situation. We bring this personal shalom. And they say, man, that's a son of God right there. That's what's supposed to happen. Thirdly is a uh, physical loss of shalom. A physical loss of shalom. So what happened was, before the fall, uh, there was no sickness. So we're back, we're back at Adam again. He's jamming around. He's happy. Everything's going great. There's animals everywhere. He's named them all, which was cool. Um, all the animals are eating um, plants. They're not eating each other. They're eating plants. And so he's happy. There's no disease, no death, nothing. There's physical shalom there. He doesn't hit his finger with the hammer. He doesn't, you know, maybe he does and it doesn't hurt or I don't know. I, I don't, I don't, I'm not into like, I don't know everything that was going on. But as I was trying to, because I thought about that, well, he hits his hand with the hammer. Like, no, he wouldn't do that. Well, he can make a mistake. Oh, but then would it hurt? Okay, so now you know uh, where an hour of my day went uh, last week. <laughs> so there's no, no, none of that. And then all of a sudden, Adam sins and there's a loss of physical shalom. What are some of the things that happen? Well, not only are we talking about just Adam, but we're talking about the entire earth. God says to Adam, because of what you did, the earth will be cursed. This goes far beyond. See, as westernized Christians, we love the personal shalom part. Okay, how can I get my life to where I get no anxiety and uh, I'm a good Christian and everything's firing on all cylinders. But there's a whole other thing outside of our lives that happened at the fall. So the ground gets cursed. Eve gets pain in childbirth, right? Um, Adam has to toil and it says that thorns and thistles will grow up and by the sweat of your brow you're going to eat. So there's all this physical stuff began to happen. Check out, uh, well, anyway. Um, yeah, it says in for, uh, Genesis 1.30, And to every beast of the earth, and to every bird of the sky, and to everything that moves on the earth which has life, I have given every green plant for food. That's why if you look in the Old Testament, when it talks about Jesus coming back and reigning on earth, it says that the wolf will lay down with the lamb, and that the lion will eat hay like the ox. By the way, I have a little challenge for everybody here. This week, go to Scripture and find me the verse that says, the lion lays down with the lamb. That's your... I won't tell you if it's in there or not. 
I'm just saying. That's, you can email me. I found it or I couldn't find it. Okay. So that's, what, that's what's going to happen. All of a sudden, the lion's going to start eating hay again. Now, imagine the fall. Adam eats his apple or it, fruit, okay? He eats it. And what was normally pristine, the lion is kicking back with the lamb, eating broccoli, just kind of kicking back. Hey, what's up? You know, they got, hey, you want some celery? Yeah, oh, man, this is great. Everything's fine. All of a sudden, the lion's like, well, all right. That lamb looks pretty tasty. Imagine the chaos of that moment when all of a sudden what we call the natural order took place. And the predators started, everybody started eating each other. Imagine what that looked like to them. No longer were they eating grass anymore. Now, I don't know how long that process took, okay? I'm not getting into all that kind of stuff. I'm just saying there was a loss of physical shalom. Lions now eat little lambs. It wasn't that way. So there was this sense. That's why in Proverbs, uh, I think, yeah, 12, 10, it says, a righteous man has regard for his animal. A righteous man has regard for his animal. Why? Because that's the way it ought to be. We should be caring for for the animals. Again, I'm not getting into a big political thing. Unfortunately, we've politicized everything. So it's like once you say something, everyone immediately goes, whoa, is that Democrat or Republican? I don't know. Let's see. Let's label them. That's another thing I challenge you to do. Figure out what I'm registered as. Okay, no, I'm kidding around. Right? A righteous man has regard for his animal. Listen to what Psalm 147 says. He makes peace in your borders. He satisfies you with the finest of wheat. See, God doesn't just look at the earth as just like our place. It's, It's all part of the fall, the loss of shalom. The earth was supposed to be totally different than the way it is now. And one of the ways this shows up for us as peacemakers is in the realm of social justice. Social justice. Taking care of the poor. Taking care of the orphaned. Taking care of the widow. The peacemaker does this. We as believers in Jesus Christ, it is our job. Now, I've been dreadfully convicted this week because... As I've been going through all this, I'm, I'm seeing different areas of Living Spring and going, man, okay, Lord, I, we want to be able to do that. And, and this is one of the areas that we could do a way better job on. I just don't know how. I don't know how to start a food program or any of that. It bugs me. But I guess through the Lord's time, he'll hopefully lead us in that way. But it absolutely is our job. There's no doubt about that. Taking care of the poor. James 1, 27 through 28. I want to read this really quickly. James 1, 27. Uh, No, that's not it. Doggone it. Oh, yeah, yeah, this is it. Check this out. If anyone thinks himself to be religious, and yet, it's 26 and 27, and yet does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his own heart, this man's religion is worthless. If If we can't control, if we go into a situation and we don't, bring shalom our religion's worthless now let's listen to this this is pure and undefiled religion in the sight of our god and father to visit orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself unstained from the world social justice now we get into unfortunately we get into when we talk about social justice again it's something we've totally politicized you got the liberal camp who says we should do this, we do that, we do that. You got the conservative camp saying they need to pull themselves up by their bootstraps. All, you know, but whatever the thing is, okay? Wherever, wherever side we're on. But man, the institution of man was never designed to do this. It's the church of Jesus Christ that needs to do this. It says in James 2.16, And one of you says to them, Go in peace and be warmed and filled, and yet you do not give them what is necessary for their body. What use is that? And as I've been studying the scripture and studying this physical shalom, we get caught up on, well, every time we help somebody, it has to have something to do with the gospel. Got to present the gospel, got to do that. 
That is not necessarily the case. As we go and we feed the poor and we take care of the widow and we clean somebody's house and we don't say a word about Jesus, we're still bringing physical shalom. We're still bringing the way things ought to be. It doesn't have to be, you know, I, I do this. this is, I'll give you an example. I have this thing in me. I, it's very difficult for me to give somebody money on the street corner without saying something like, Jesus loves you, or Jesus is my Savior, or you need to accept Jesus. It's like, it's like, it's like, well, because why? If I think to myself, if I'm really honest with myself, well, then I'd just be wasting my money. If I give them five bucks, I don't say anything about Jesus. I just wasted five bucks. No, no, no. I'm bringing physical shalom. I'm bringing the way things ought to be. If you go, I just, I just got these verses this morning when I was kind of getting everything uh, together. Leviticus 25.20. Let me read this. And we might run out of time, but that's fine. Um, Leviticus 25.20. Where's Leviticus? Genesis, Leviticus. Okay, cool. Here we go. I don't know if you guys are... I, I always have to start at, wherever it is, I have to start at Genesis. And, and when you're like studying the book of Philippians, it, it's really a bummer. It takes a long time. So, so I have, and you know, the other thing is I have this computer software where I'm just like Leviticus 2520 to have to find it. So here's what happens. They're supposed to, in, in the Old Testament, the, the way things got established after the fall is he said, okay, you're going to have this promised land and it's going to work out this way. It's, not, it's still going to have sin because you, you ruined it with the sin thing, but I created the system. And the system was they'd toil for six years. On the seventh year, they wouldn't do anything. They'd let the ground take a Sabbath. Now, check that out. Is that not a connection with physical shalom? God's saying, let the earth have a little rest on itself. Again, I'm not going all Al Gore on anyone right now, okay? I'm not trying to, like, freak anyone out, okay? Thank you, youth, for that. Okay? I'm just saying that God, isn't it interesting that God was caring about his entire creation at the time? And here's what it says in Leviticus 25.20. 20, yeah, 25.20. But if you say, what are we going to eat on the seventh year if we do not sow or gather our crops? Isn't that our natural thing? Don't do any crop stuff for, on the seventh year? What, what are we supposed to do? He says, this is awesome. Uh, he says, then I will so order my blessing for you in the sixth year that it will bring forth the crop for three years. When you are sowing in the eighth year, you can still eat old things from the crop, eating the old until the ninth year when the crop comes in again. So God figure out a way in the sixth year to give them three years more of food. The sixth year, the seventh year while they let the earth rest, and the eighth year while they're getting it all ready, and then in the ninth year, that's ready to go. That freaks me out. That's amazing to me. How does he do that? But that's the way it ought to be. And so that's why when God says, hey, don't worry about what you're going to eat or drink or wear. Don't worry about that. Seek first what? My kingdom. Seek first my kingdom and all those things will be added unto you. And you go, but what about, what if I give uh, $10,000 to some poor people and then it just gets wasted? Or what if I, you know, we get, and God says, don't worry about that. Do what I ask you to do. Everything else will come. All these things will be added to you. Now again, that's going to look different in each one of our lives as we look around us and see the physical lack of shalom and say, how do I, how do I uh, uh, take care of that need for that person? Proverbs 3.27 Do not withhold good from those to whom it is due. Ooh, man, that's a brutal verse. It's due them? Wow, they have got to earn it somehow. You got to, the poor have to do something. That's just not right. It says in the, somewhere. Uh, it just got to, it, uh, well, there is one that says, if a man doesn't work, neither let him eat, okay? But it's not talking about that here. 
The poor are due under God's structure. They're due to be taken care of. Do not withhold good from those to whom it is due when it is in your power to do it. Do not say to your neighbor, go and come back and tomorrow I'll give it when you have it with you. You know? Oh, yeah. See you later. You're putting the new plasma screen behind you. Yeah, no, things are really tight right now. You know, right? (laughs) I'm kidding around. Look at the end of Revelation. What happens? We don't all pop up into heaven and then we're done. Christ comes down and for a thousand years restores the earth again. He restores his creation again. All of a sudden, there's the needy are taken care of. All these things are taken care of. Peacemakers go into a situation and they bring with them the very kingdom of God. And they say, I'm going to make this right. And you say, but how do you know if you're, not, if you're being a bad steward or not? We go back to listening to the Holy Spirit again and going, okay, does the scripture want me to do this? Does the Holy Spirit, does, if, if it's silent on this particular issue, does the Lord want me to do it? See, again, we talk about the Western idea of peace is to get ourselves out of those tears. It hurts to be in the fabric when it's being torn, does it not? And so it's like, man, if I could just get into a situation where I'm just a little thread up here, just minding my own business, and everything can happen down there, great. It's not what we were called to do. Proverbs 11.10 says this. This will rock your world right here, this verse. When the righteous prosper, the city rejoices. When the wicked perish, there are shouts of joy. When the righteous prosper, the city rejoices. Why? Because the righteous, when they prosper, distribute. They distribute. Righteous, the righteous don't hoard. They don't build bigger barns and bigger barns. And the Lord says, you fool. Your soul's required of you tomorrow. Why didn't you get more involved in that? And so as a peacemaker, as I begin to think of, well, if I'm bringing the kingdom of God, what does that look like for physical shalom? But what, is it, what does it look like for the poor and the widow and the orphan and the, 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 the abuser? What, what does that look like? Listen to this one. Another one that's just a good, took me in the jaw this, t- today. He who is kind to the poor lends to the Lord. He who is kind to the poor lends to the Lord. And he will reward him for what he's done. Proverbs 14.31 He who oppresses the poor shows contempt for their maker. But whoever is kind to the needy honors God. This week, it's Christmas time. And and church, I'm going to end here. I'm not going to go to this last one. But um, uh, because it's really obvious. It's called relational shalom. And I've talked about it, like, for the last, how long have I been here? Uh, 100 sermons, I think. I've mentioned all the things in this last point. But I put all the verses there so you can read them. But um, as we enter the Christmas season, okay, I am really trying my hardest to make my home the way it ought to be at Christmas time. Honoring the birth of Jesus Christ, not getting all stressed out about gifts and all this kind of stuff. I mean, it amazes me how much anxiety I have celebrating the birth of Christ. It's gotten to the point where I'm like, man, I don't like Christmas. How can a pastor say he doesn't like Christmas? Right? Why? Because I've disconnected myself from the way things ought to be. And so as we, as we ending up at the end of Christmas in debt is not the way it ought to be. It's not the way God designed. And so by making that decision, and again, I'm not coming down on you or me or anything. I'm just saying, as we make those kinds of decisions, we're, we're, bringing, we're not bringing peace into our homes. We're bringing a lack of peace. There's not shalom. I asked my kids uh, a couple days ago, because we were thinking about what we should get them and everything, and I said, Hey, guys, it was a total trick question. I had to mask it well enough because Audrey would pick up on it right away and, and, and get me back. But I said, hey, so out of all the Christmases, what's been your favorite present? That's what I asked. Oh, yeah. Um, uh, and I'm like, man, you don't remember. I, I think I'm still paying for the bike. You don't remember that one? And no. 
I'm kidding. Uh, but they couldn't think of a thing. And I said, well, what was, what's one you, just what's a present you remember? Not one present. But all of my kids will remember decorating the tree. They all remember hot chocolate when we threw in an extra handful of mushroom, uh, mu- mushrooms. <laughs> That's nice. That's great. That's fantastic. We all remember that. Oh, yeah. God. Yeah. They were not. Jesse's got Hendrix playing in the background. It's cool. Sorry. My, I grew up with my brother, so there we go. So, silence. Okay. Marshmallows into the hot chocolate. Oh, thank the Lord I edit my own podcast. I'm going to take all that laughter and put it at something else I said. So, like, wow, man, guy's really funny. Uh, I love him there. Uh, Listen, all I'm trying to do is present a picture that maybe in your own home this week uh, uh, and this Christmas season looks different. Maybe in your spiritual shalom. Maybe in uh, your personal shalom. Maybe in physical shalom. You you decide to, as as a family buy something for ELI or support a missionary or do something that has nothing to do with uh, uh, right, you being right there. But just money just is flying out for physical shalom. Maybe it's relational shalom. Again, you know what I'm going to say about that. I say it all the time. Wives and husbands and us as a church not gossiping. All these things that happened when the fall came. When the fall came, they were one flesh. It was great. Then Adam's blaming Eve and one generation later, Cain kills Abel, and that was it. Relational shalom was gone. But as a church, we're called to unity. We are in all.